Welcome to RJ Off Leash. Your hosts today are Vivian Fairbank and Allison Baker. And we're going to be talking to you about Kilfees. We had a conversation with Derek Finkel on the phone. Um, he's an award-winning Canadian writer and editor, and he's also the founder of Canadian Writers Group. Well, I think kill fees can come about for a bunch of different reasons. You know, one scenario uh, often is that it can come as a result of something that's, you know, beyond the writer and the publication's control. So, for example, you could start, uh, you could decide you were going to do a story about a trial that was happening, and then all of a sudden, you know, mid-trial, <laughs> the, something could go awry in the court or the the case could be thrown out or there could be some reversal that you didn't foresee that could undo your story. And so you have to apply a kill fee in a situation like that. There are also situations where writers for you know, they they just didn't live up to what they promised to. And then there's a third scenario, um, which we saw recently at the Walrus with Alex Gillis where a writer completes a piece you know, as it was commissioned, so in his case, as an investigative piece, that's what he wrote, that's what he handed in. His editor told him that they were pretty happy with it. And then, subsequent to a first draft, the the powers that be at a publication, or the walrus in this case, decide that that's not what they want anymore, the magazine's control. Right. So those are three pretty basic uh, scenarios um, that where, you, where you would engage a kill fee. So we spoke to Alex Gillis, a freelance writer, about his experience at the Walrus recently. Uh, he was unable to make it into studio with us, but he was very generous with his time and answered some questions over email that we had sent him. So we're just going to go over some of the interesting things he had to say and kind of discuss them a little further. So first, some background. Alex had an interesting experience at the Walrus recently. It was a, He was writing a story about academic cheating. Um, he's actually a professor here at Ryerson. And he gave us a timeline of the events. So we're going we're gonna to give it to you verbatim. So on March 24th, uh, Alex pitched his idea to Sasha Chapman. She said she liked it. On May 25th, he's in the middle of working on his 4,000-word feature and sends an update to Sasha. She tells Alex that she's leaving the walrus and that Kyle Wyatt will take over as his handling editor on the story. From June 2nd to the 14th, Kyle Wyatt and Alex negotiated for him to write a 6,000-word cover story. August 20th, Alex submits a first draft around this time, and Wyatt emails him. I quote, this is a solid first draft. Good bones. Later, after Jonathan Kay reads it, Wyatt sends a fixed note. On August 31st, Alex completed most of the requirements in the fixed note and submitted a second draft, and Kyle Wyatt asked for a fact-checking package. September 1st, Kyle Wyatt suddenly gives Alex an ultimatum because deadlines are tight. The magazine will rewrite the piece, or the magazine will kill it. Kyle writes, Jonathan Kay can be pretty particular about what goes into the magazine. Later, he explains that Jonathan Kay wants an essay. Alex agrees that Wyatt and Alex can rewrite the second draft together. On September 2nd, Wyatt writes that he's, quote, unquote, uh, making his way through my piece. He's tightening it here and there, restructuring it there. Alex asked for a draft on September 3rd, so he had time to read and rewrite it. 
September 3rd, Kyle says that the magazine is killing the article because he has no time to negotiate a rewrite, among other reasons. Alex asks him if he wants Alex to work on a draft for a future issue, given the time crunch now, and Kyle says no. On October 16th, Alex sees Kyle's academic cheating feature on the November cover of The Walrus and asks him for an explanation. And Kyle replies that Jonathan K made the decision to have me, so Kyle, write something topically related. On October 22nd, The Walrus lets Kyle Wyatt go. Then on October 23rd, Kyle Wyatt tells Alex on the phone, number one, Jonathan K killed Alex's second draft. Number two, Kyle Wyatt told Jonathan Kay that uh, he'd promised Alex that the walrus wouldn't publish anything about academic cheating. And number three, that Jonathan Kay and Kyle Wyatt agreed to go ahead and write it anyway. After all of this happened, Alex published a warning on the Toronto Freelance Editors and Writers Forum. It has over 800 members, so there was a lot of discussion and it kind of said, you know, this was my experience with the walrus and this is what went wrong. And other writers shouldn't try to write for them, so it was kind of a big deal. And it ended up having a response directly from Jonathan Kay in the forum. So a lot of backlash was directed at the walrus, and Canada Land published a story called Meltdown at the Walrus. It wasn't just about the Kilfee, although that was part of it. It was also kind of this huge story about the culture at the walrus and kind of all the things that Kyle Wyatt especially is said to have gotten away with. The smaller story is the story of Kilfees and kind of how much money Alex did finally get in the end and then why his story or his story idea was still stolen. In the end, there was a lot of public apologizing. Jonathan Kay kind of was very lengthy in his apologies to everyone. Um, and Alex tells us that not only did he get his full fee paid after a lot of pushing, but also several former writers from The Walrus who had similar experiences also got paid. The tone of the whole situation was pretty critical, as you can kind of see by the timeline. But it seemed like The Walrus handled it pretty well. But in reality, it's actually unclear if The Walrus is really improving. Um, they've killed more stories this year than in the past four years, according to Kyle Wyatt's uh, transcript of a phone conversation with Alex Gillis. And it's kind of unclear, you know, maybe they're just coming up with it now because it's already a story. And what other response can you have than to apologize? I mean, Alex has been talking about this with so many people. There was the Canaland podcast. There was the thing on the forum. I know that other writers are working on stories right now that are related to it. What can they really do but say they're sorry? Either way, now Alex is kind of famous in the industry. In a more general sense, though, he's also become kind of a figure of editorial cheating in the publishing world. He, he's told us that he's developed kind of a temporary beat about academic cheating, and he's writing a new story about it and possibly a book. Joining us in the studio is Carly Lewitz. She's here to talk about some kill fees. Welcome, Carly. Hi, thank you. Carly's an RIJ alumni and a freelance writer for a long multitude of Canadian publications. She was also part of our winter 2012 masthead, which is kind of cool. You tell us, how was, <laughs> how was your time at the RIJ? It was great. I learned a lot and worked with a really smart team of people. We did the Northern package that year, so there's a lot of interesting reporting that was done to get that out. What was your story for the RJ on? My story was about uh, Sun TV and Ezra Levant specifically. So as a freelance journalist, you've had to deal with kill feeds before. Do you want to tell us kind of a summary of, of your experiences? 
I have received in the, throughout the course of my entire career, three kill fees. And two of them I was paid in full, which I found to be very courteous because typically a kill fee is 50% of the agreed upon rate. Mm -hmm. And once I was paid half. Was it ever an uncomfortable situation? Hmm. Yes, there was one uncomfortable situation. The first two examples were actually the first two times I had ever written for, we'll just say a major Canadian newspaper. And I was so excited. I was much younger and I was so excited to be writing for this newspaper. But both times, uh, my pieces were killed. Mm. Imagine the disappointment. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, mom, go buy this newspaper. And then the editor's like, sorry, it's killed, but you're still getting paid. So I had done this piece for a big Canadian fashion magazine, and it was about um, a fashion trend that I had observed. And I did a lot of reporting for it, went to another country for it. Wow. But what happened was the thesis of my piece kind of ended up being antithetical to the necessity of certain brands advertising for that magazine. So essentially I was saying a group of people no longer shop at certain brands and those certain right. brands happen to be major advertisers in the magazine. So my editor kind of gently and then less gently and then less and less gently pushed me to or encouraged me to find examples that would kind of walk back my thesis a little bit. It wasn't possible. It wasn't true. It wasn't happening. So we kind of just agreed that, you know, the story couldn't run in their magazine because they do have an obligation to keep advertisers satisfied. And as a writer, I have an obligation to keep the story true and to honor my sources in that way. So we just killed it. That's it. Called it a day. And I was mm. paid in full for that one, too. Were you able to keep the idea, though? Were you or like, it, would you be able to publish it somewhere else? All of them, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is something, if you're ever in a situation where you get a kill fee, make sure you you know that. And if the editor doesn't say it to you directly, say to them, okay, thanks. Nice to work with you. And I'm taking this idea and mm -hmm. going to pitch it elsewhere. Um, as a freelancer, you said you were lucky and were able to get paid in full for some of the stories and half for another story mm -hmm. that was killed. Do you find you have to fight a little bit more to receive payment? The, the kill fees were amicably presented to me. So that was good. But these are two high level, well-respected, well-known, uh, which is not to say that shady stuff can't happen at a well-respected Canadian publication, like the Walrus story that just came out mm -hmm. about. I enjoy the Walrus and a lot of brilliant people work there, but that story was truly, truly shocking. Yeah, so we talked to Alex, who was the writer from ah. The Walrus. Mm -hmm. He initially ended up getting 50%, mm -hmm. and then after the whole story kind of blew up and mm. everything, Jonathan Kay ended up giving him the uh, full... Out of a courtesy, yeah. maybe. Mm -hmm. yeah. And actually, um, well, he. this is what Alex told us, is that he's been kind of reaching out and has been reached out to mm -hmm. by a lot of other writers who mm -hmm. had similar experiences with the walrus, and those writers have now all gotten paid as well. So it's mm -hmm. like the walrus is trying to redeem itself, kind mm -hmm. of. I guess it realizes that, like, the community really talks and, yeah. you know... I'm happy, to, I'm happy to hear that people have been paid for the work because yeah. I really can't imagine how heartbreaking it would feel to work on something for months and months and months that was slated to be a potential cover story and something that you're so interested in that you're going to write a book about it. In, in the case of Alex Gillis, he says mm -hmm. he's going to write a book on it. Mm -hmm. And then to have it killed, which is disappointing, and then to be paid 50%, which is disappointing and financially troubling, and then to open up your mailbox and see it on the cover written by someone else is like a really sickening, heartbreaking kind of disappointment, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I'm happy to hear that people are being compensated fully for their work, but it's also um, sad to hear that that was ever kind of going on. And that's kind of what you're writing about as well, right? You're doing a story on 
story theft? I am working on a story about story theft, an in-progress story. Mm. When I was in journalism school, pretty much exactly where you guys are currently, I had two stories, I think, stolen from me. I guess that's the word we're using. Um, what happened was I pitched two separate stories to two separate editors. Both of them were rejected, which is fine. You know, obviously used to rejection as a freelance writer. And then months and months later, I saw those stories written by the editor that I had pitched in the magazines that I had pitched to. And I found it, you know, frustrating and I kind of felt like I couldn't really do too much about it. I was younger then. Now I'm a little bit older and a little bit bolder and a little bit more concerned with kind of the ethics of my industry and how they serve some people but really disadvantage other people. So I'm kind of at a place in my career where I can write about that now. now. And I know more people and I know more editors and I've heard more stories and I know that this is actually a tactic that is employed a lot when it comes to story gathering for publications. So I've reached out to a bunch of different writers, a lot of different journalism school students because I think that journalism school students are seen as like, you know, a, a group from which to harvest story ideas. So I've been talking to people about their experiences, pitching things, having those things rejected, and then, you know, having the Alex Gillis thing, Alex Gillis thing happen where you open your mailbox or you open your web browser and you're like, oh, wait a second, that's my story. Mm -hmm. um, so you kind of talked about um, your reaction to the Alex, Alex Gillis story, mm -hmm. but um, can you talk a little bit more about what you think of it and kind of what you would have done in that situation if you were Alex Gillis and that happened to you? Ooh, um, I think that he handled it pretty respectably and eloquently. Um, I probably would have called Canada Land uh, immediately. Just kidding, kind of. Um, I mean, going to Canada Land is what made people aware that it had happened, which seems to have gotten him paid in full and which seems to have gotten other people paid in full. So that was ultimately positive. Um, in this case, though, that, I mean, a cover story is kind of an all hands on deck situation where the entire, you know, at least a senior level masthead, editorial masthead knows that that story is happening, has possibly read it. Um, I mean, there are there are a lot of witnesses to the fact that that story is supposed to run. So in his case, it, it just seems like such a foolish move on the part of the walrus to cross a familiar, um, well-established writer like that when so many people would have been aware of that piece. So I'm surprised that that happened which is why I kept wondering, like, could this have been an oversight somehow? But then, you know, there's a, a phone conversation on that Canada Land story, and it doesn't really sound too accidental, yeah. I'm sorry to say. Yeah. It's it's upsetting to, to know that that happens. But, yeah, I think that he handled it well, and I uh, probably would have just sent some angry emails and <laughs> taken it from there. That is everything. That is That's everything. it. Thank you so much yeah. for Well, thank you so much us. for having me. I haven't been <laughs> back here coming. since the day I graduated. Thanks for joining us on Off Leash for this episode. Join us for our next episode on sex journalism in two weeks. It's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be sex. <laughs> <laughs> Music in this episode performed by Afloat, also known as Paul Harper. <laughs>